I had sort of a weird and quirky experience when the lessons were given, and I had to choose one for this Sunday. And I looked at Job. And I don't know if you've had this experience where you're reading something and your reading of the particular words all of a sudden create an image or something that's happened in the past. Well, as I read the passage from Job, I remembered very clearly my theology professor, Dr. Keyes, at General Seminary, had introduced the book of Job by having us read Archibald McLeish's J.B., the play. And as we got into the play and looked at the parts, and you have to understand, Dr. Keyes was a philosopher, theologian, and he pointed out many of these great feats. One thing he brought my mind to was the fact that here's Job, being informed by his friends as to how all of these calamities have come upon him, what he might do to reconcile it. This is Elihaz, Bilbel, and Jozar. And it was interesting to me that in the midst of this, he just said, no, I I can't deal with what you're trying to say because it just doesn't fit me. And after many struggles with losing family and all of the disaster that he'd gone through, he finally gets upset. Standing on a dung heap, he raises his fist and said, why me? That's when we get this passage in in the Old Testament where God speaks back to him. Now, this is interesting because you've got to hear what God is saying. Who is this that darkens the counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you shall declare me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Now, this is not exactly the kind of response we want to have from God. He's saying, why me? And God is telling him, who the heck do you think you are? I am the creator of the earth. Well, the interesting part to me as we explored this interesting dialogue, what struck me and came back to me as I saw the passage was the fact that Job was calmed and happy. Can you imagine yourself, if you're really frustrated and you say, why, and someone tells you off, how can you get happy? Or how can you feel calmed in your spirit? It's not a normal response. Certainly not for me. And I take it that I... I'm enough common to most of us that hopefully you will agree with me. So it's very interesting. Here I am in seminary and struggling with this whole thing. Well, later on, we started to deal with the Psalms. And my professor of Old Testament was great to point out that the Psalms were the songs sung in the temple. Most of them were pretty nasty. Kill them because they're causing us pain and grief. 
Or, God, why are you doing this to us? Even the the psalm this morning talks about the nature of God's relationship to them. And what's interesting to me is the psalms, when sung, were meant to be reflections of an honesty in relationship to God. And the more I explored the psalms, the more I realized we don't really do that in my church. We don't necessarily become very honest and candid about what the problems are and express them in a way that we're expecting some kind of response, much like Job. But yet the Jewish temple, it was a requisite that these be sung and said because it was the honesty and the candor of the people that rejoiced in God's presence. Struck as I was, I found it interesting that I had a friend back in western New York in my early ministry who had this uncanny knack of doing those things which seemed extraordinarily weird to me. And I may have shared this story with you before, but I'm going to share it again because to me it was really critical in terms of getting an insight to Father Sam Abood, a deacon, and then a priest in western New York. He was spending a great deal of time at Buffalo General Hospital, and he was working with a person that was dying of cancer. And as was Abood's state, he was overwhelmed and exhausted. Earlier that day, he had dealt with someone who had attempted suicide. So it was a day that wasn't racked up to be too great. As he walked out of Buffalo General Hospital, a young person ran towards him, went to wrap his arms around him. Now, Father Sam, being exhausted and somewhat weary, sort of just went with the pressure. And he says, Skip, it was the most amazing thing. He said, out of my awkwardness and my inability sometimes to move quickly, I wound up sitting on this kid's chest. I said, well, what did you do then? He said, well, I grabbed him by the collar and said, where's your church? And the kid looked at him so stunned. He said, it, it's, I have a church. It, it, it's St. Ignatius. It's great. He grabs the kid by the collar, goes over to his car, puts him in the car, and drives to St. Ignatius Church, as he actually knew where it was, a Roman Catholic church. And he knocks on the door and said, Monsignor, we've got a problem. He said, do you know this kid? He says, I do. I know his whole family. So he just tried to steal money from me, roll me at the hospital. So they sat down and they talked with him, and he said, you know, I haven't been able to find a job. I've been really frustrated and everything else, and he said, I just, I don't know what got into me, but I just, I was desperate. And Father Sam looked at the Monsignor, and he said, I think we need to find him a job. He said, you'll call your friends, I'll call mine. Let's get this kid working. So they sat down, two phones, within about 40, half an hour to 45 minutes, they found a job for the kid. 
And it was interesting because the Monsignor still was sort of baffled as how this all came about. And I always, when he said, where's your church? Now, that's not the first response out of my mouth. Because I told him, you know, Father Sam, if that had happened to me, I would have either been 150 yards down the road running as fast as I could or just swinging and wailing away at the person. He said, well, sometimes God interferes with my thought process. And I do some strange things. And the only thing I could think of was where it was his church. Father Sam, to me, was always one that listened actively for God's presence in his life. Always looking and seeking to understand the word of God. Ginger last week talked about the primary relationship that we have been given with God is to be in relationship to God. And Father Sam sort of lived this to the nth degree. I've never known anyone that has been so interesting and bizarre. And he always, I mean, one time when he was going up to the altar, he stopped at his church, and it was significant enough, I finally, very nervous because I was afraid I missed something in seminary, I went up to him, I said, uh, Abu, I said, you stopped at the altar just before you went in. I said, is there a prayer that I forgot? that I don't know about? He said, no, 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 no. He said, that's when I stopped to say, thank you, Lord, that you work in spite of me. What I'm talking about in terms of Job and his response to God's anger was the fact that God was present to Job, that God was there, that there was a relationship, a connection. That's what brought on the calm and the peace for Job. We hear in the gospel lesson that they're off on a boat having a trip across the sea and the wind blows and everything goes crazy and they panic and Jesus is asleep. So they wake him up and said, hey, aren't you aware we're about to die? And he says, be still and peace be with you. And the water calms. Now, the interesting part to me is they're stuck with a sense of awe about this individual. And I know that throughout Jesus' ministry, he always preached that God was present all of the time. His response to calm the water was not of his own, but of God's healing grace and calmness, and power to be with those, his disciples. I think too often we forget about the relationship with God and that it comes in any kind of emotion that we can have. Be it angry, be it frightened, be it afraid, be it joyful, whatever. All of those emotions have the opportunity to reveal God's presence in our hearts. The sense of well-being and calming spirit. But it's hard for us to tap in because we question sometimes our ability to have a relationship with God. And it's through mindfulness and openness and prayer 
do we exercise the ability to hear and see God's presence in our midst? One of the things that I've taken great joy, recently, I had the opportunity to be with a lot of our grandkids. What I find with the grandkids who are as different as night and day from one another, they have this sense of presence about themselves that reflects to me the very presence of Christ. In their eyes, in their joy with one another and how they get along with one another so well as cousins. I've never had that experience in my life. But their joy and their ability to hug and to hold and to just share the vigor and the energy of their own lives is so mindful of God's presence in my sight. Their eyes, their gestures remind me of that. And I know that even though they do not have, quote, a formal religious training, they are of God. They are children very much of God. Because to them, the world is filled with magic and mystery still. And they seek that sense in one another and through one another. We as Christians can do no better than to be honest in our complaints, honest in our joy and celebrations, open to God's presence in all of the various ways God does become present to us, and respond with God in relationship to God's love. It's such a blessing. It's such a gift. And yet, it's so hard for us to do We just need to open those hearts and open our love 